Luke 23. Thanks, bro. Before I even go into this, let me tell you this. Do we have this many people who can't afford to go on spring break vacation? What? What's the deal here? I expected this to be empty. There is a force that does not want you to hear this message. I cannot tell you the things that have gone on this morning to interrupt my concentration and your concentration. Um, and one thing about Satan is that he always overplays his hand. You, you just give him long enough and things get just enough ridiculous to, that you know these aren't circumstances anymore, don't you? So, would you bow for a moment and pray with me and just address him with me? Satan, you can't have this. This is not your message. These are not your people. I'm not your man. And you cannot have our concentration. Whatever you do, you can't have it. We are going to hear God this morning because that's who we came to hear. And we are going to take him to our lives and not you. We pray this in the power and the strength and the hope in the name of the Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay. Before I get into Pilate, let me just give you a few textual tidbits, okay, that I don't want you to miss in here. They're important enough to, to mention, but they're not exactly on the, on the subject. Let me just go down with you uh, in this passage. Verse 2, they came accusing him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Well, those are outright lies, aren't they? When people present Jesus Christ for mockery in this world, they have to lie. They have to lie. They can't tell the truth. Obviously, he never forbid to pay taxes. If you look in Luke 20, 25, you will see him saying, Render unto Caesar what is Caesar, and unto God what is God's. He never forbid participation in government. Neither did he ever call himself a king. John 6.15 says that he perceived that they were coming to make him a king by force. And he withdrew to be himself. His kingdom was not of this world. And that is the, ex that is the further explanation that we find in John 18.26. When, when it says, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, it is as you say. For a fuller account of that, you have to turn to the 18th chapter of John. When he told Pilate that said... You have answered correctly, I am a king, but my kingdom is not of this world. And so therefore, we're not talking political battle here. You have nothing to go on. And Pilate heard that. And that's why he could turn and he could say to them in verse 4, I find no guilt in this man. Now a couple other things that I want you to see. Verse 8, Herod was very glad when he saw Jesus, for he wanted to see him for a long time. Because he had been hearing about him and was hoping to see some sign performed by, by him. If you read the, that in Greek, there is a whole tone of mockery and of, of simply sensational curiosity. And I want you to see Jesus' response to him. And he, Herod, questioned him, Jesus, at some length. 
But Jesus answered him nothing. Anytime you come to the Lord and you say, okay, Lord, you know, nothing else works. Let's see what you can do. Guess what your response is going to be? Nothing. Because seeing is not the same thing as having ears to hear. And if you come to the Lord simply out of curiosity, simply out of wanting to see some sign for your own stimulation, you can bank on silence. Jesus never in the New Testament declined to answer a sincere question, but neither did he ever answer an insincere question. And therefore, if, if our prayer life is dead, we have to check out our motivations. And one more thing. Now Herod and Pilate became friends with one another that very day. For they had been at enmity with each other. Do you know how many friendships in this world are based upon the companionship of evil? Feeling close to somebody because they will do what's wrong with you so that you don't have to feel so bad doing what's wrong alone. That is what their friendship was based on. And I don't want you to miss that point. Now I want to say three things to you about Pilate. Three ways he compromised. And I want to say in this message that one of the ways that Satan entraps us in a system of evil and takes us down the tubes is through a system of laziness and cowardice that we call compromise. Now, I will say to you at the outset, there are some good kind of compromises to make. But they are only for the advancement of the kingdom. They are not for political purposes and they are not for our own ease. Most compromises when it comes to morality are always a step backwards. And those are the ones where Satan gets you ensnared and you are there before you know it. And you turn around and you say, what happened? And the answer is nothing big, just a lot little happened. First of all, Pilate wanted to compromise by technicality. He had Jesus brought to him and somebody mentioned he was a Galilean. And, and, and Pilate said, oh, a Galilean? Did you say he was a Galilean? Good, that means I can send him to Herod. Compromise by technicality. I won't have to face the tough issues of life. I can lay them on somebody else. Because it is justly their jurisdiction. I have people coming to me every week, and you probably do too, looking for a way to get out of relationships. And when they, when they got in those relationships, they, they had every intention of loving that person in a way the person needed and not in the way the person deserved. But the longer the relationship lasts, the more the love becomes based upon what the person, they think the person deserves. And I have these words. Well, I told him if he would do such and such, then I would do such and such. Both of them being right. If he could get off his lazy self couch thing. I'm trying to think of another word. My, my vocabulary is not that big. <laughs> then I would respect him and treat him respectfully. Well, he hadn't done it. And so that leaves me out of my end of the bargain. You know what that is? 
that is disillusioned by technicality. You are right in wanting another person to be responsible. You are wrong whenever you say that anything anybody else does ever lets you ever out of doing what is right on your own. No matter what they've done. That is compromised by technicality. I'll send him to Herod. It's his jurisdiction. It's his job. And then I won't have to do what's right. It always comes back to you anyhow, doesn't it? It always comes back to you. Do you ever release anything that stays away from you? It always comes back. The second compromise was a compromise by doing partial wrong. Well, I won't, I won't do all of what's wrong or all of what I know to do. I'll do just a little bit of what's wrong. In other words, I will have him scourged and released. I will have him punished and released. He tried that twice. Two people going together. Fall in what they think is love. One of them is a Christian. And the other one is attempting sexual intimacy. And so the Christian says to them, well, you know, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. We can do this, but I'm not going to do that. When you do this, what happens? Compromise by partial wrong. So that we can make ourselves feel better. Not feel good, but feel better. Feeling better is never feeling good. Feeling better is never feeling good. Feeling okay is never being able to look at yourself in the mirror and say, thank you God that I didn't compromise. And the third one, the third way he compromised was a, was a compromise by arguing in the adversary's mindset. By thinking he could go to their mentality and argue it out with them. If you look at verse 22, he said to them the third time, What evil has this man done? In other words, <clears throat> you get to the point where you say, Okay, I'll identify with your, sides, your side and I will debate what's good. Okay, let's come to a conclusion about what is good together. Shall we? How much good has ever come up by, come to pass by committee? How much good has ever been voted without dissent by groups? That's not the way it happens, is it? Let me tell you how this happens in an American family. The parent whom God has given the authority, the exousia, the anointed place to make decisions for the kids says what they know to be right for those kids. Now, you talk about political pressure. Your kids know how to exert political pressure, don't they? Man, they got the system down. Now, there is nothing wrong with looking at your kids and saying to them, I know this hurts and I don't like it to hurt. I know that this restricts you 
and I'm only doing what I think to be the right thing. It is nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with recognizing the rebellion that comes up in a kid when you make a decision that's not popular. There's nothing wrong with, with saying, I know you probably don't really like me right now, but that's not my job to be liked. There is something wrong when you start to think like a 10-year-old and say, well, how would this feel to a 10-year-old? Therefore, I'm going to make my decision based on how this feels to a 10-year-old. If God wanted a 10-year-old at the head of the family, he'd have put the kids above the parents. You're not 10 years old. You've got years of experience. You know in your heart what's right. Do it. How would this, what does this look like to a 16-year-old? I've got to arrange this so that, so that it makes sense to us both. No, you don't. No, you don't. If you know it's right in your heart, it doesn't have to make sense right now. Your responsibility is not always to make sense because guess what? Guess who's not listening a lot? It won't make sense. You're facing a hostile witness. It's a hostile crowd. Your job is to do what's right in God's sight. Now let me give you two principles here for all of this. The first principle is this. That there is no way in this world that passivity can ever, ever, Make good conquer evil. There are times in defense when you can remain passive for a little while. There are times when you can protect. There are times when you can withdraw to pray. But when it comes right down to the battle line, if you're going to be passive, you're going down the tubes. Because only deciding ahead of time what is right is going to carry the day. That's why situation ethics doesn't work. Because situation ethics says, well, we can't know what's right until we get into the situation. Absolutely, of course you can. All you have to do is decide how the absolutes apply. But you can't know what's right from the circumstances. You don't draw what's right from circumstances. You draw what's right from God and you carry them into the circumstances. Listen, everybody ought to be accountable to somebody, but nobody can be accountable to everybody. And when you get in that situation, it's exactly Pilate's problem. He had an accountability, but he tried to be accountable to everybody. And it doesn't work. One time I was umping a, uh, a game over at Aldermont Little League. And now, uh, the system over there is that, that they hire the home plate umpire, but they ask the dads to come in and ump- umpire the bases. Well, I'd umpired before. I'd been, when I w- was working my way through seminary, I uh, was a, a supervisor of a playground, and I umpired a women's industrial softball league. <laughs> Baby. We're talking combat. We're talking big time combat. I used to be six feet tall. They just keep going. Never want to do that again. I knew better than to listen to the crowd. 
I knew better. I'd been through that before. But there I was on the field. Of course, there are church kids on both teams. You know, I'm always rooting for the church kids, seeing the kids that I know. I know the parents in the stands. And this is a rip-roaring game. I mean, this is a tight game. And so every call I make, the other side gets, come on, come on, give us a break, Blue. Are you kidding me? Terrible. And they were all tight calls. I mean, they were tight. Well, it starts to record, you know. And you, you think to yourself, well, I could see how they'd see that. So the next time we get a tight one, I'll go the other way, you know. <laughs> and then the crowd smells fear. <laughs> you know what happened when a crowd smells fear? Does that calm them down? Uh-uh, boy. Man, it just started. And so I would make a bad, I would, I would make what I thought was a good call, what they thought was a bad call. And at first, every once in a while, a manager would come out of the dugout and appeal to the home plate. I have no problem with that, appealing to home plate. I want to know if I've been wrong. Appeal to the home plate. No, it was okay. But then I got so intimidated. Now, this is the mistake. I started appealing to the home plate without anybody asking me. <laughs> Every time the crowd yelled, I'd go to the home plate umpire. Man, that really revved it up. I had absolutely no business on that field doing that. Finally, Rudy Callahan, who's, who's around here, he teaching the, was the head of the umpires that year. And he, he saw what was going on and he came out about the fourth inning. And he looked at me and said, Hunter, if you got a clear shot at making a call, make the call and don't ask anybody don't look unsure if they demand that you appeal then you appeal okay or if they appeal that you you uh, refer then you do that otherwise don't. he saved my life he said I, I owe the man my life listen you Christians you know better than to try to please the crowd, don't you? You know what happens. You can't do it. You can't please everybody. You can't be accountable to everybody. You won't ever do anything right, will you? You're accountable to one person, and that's the person of God, and hopefully a person that you trust on this earth you can have accountability with, hopefully. But you can't be accountable to everybody. Pilate was trying to be accountable to everybody. And he went down the tubes. There is no way you can be passive and come out on top in an evil world. Secondly, I want you to know this. That escape from discomfort of good, of doing good, escape from the discomfort of doing good means going straight with and to the enemy. When it comes to what is good and what is bad and doing what is good and doing what is bad, there is no neutral ground. When you know what's good, and until you know what's good, you do the best you, you, you can. You do the best. You do what you think God would do. What would Jesus do is a valid question. Okay? 
But when you know in your heart what's good, and most of the time you do, we are educated in the, in the faith way beyond our ability to follow. It's not a matter of education. It's a matter of doing it. And I want to tell you, there is no neutral ground when it comes to doing what's right. And if you think you can just float, you're floating on the wrong side. One of the neatest things I heard in a long time, I heard this week in the men's group. We, have a, we gather for a discussion on Thursday mornings and just kind of hang out and share things. And we were talking about witnessing. And we were talking about how people don't understand that not to make a decision is to make a decision. To not decide for the Lord is to decide for the other side. That is something that has never gotten through people's skulls. And so this one guy, was, he, he had gone to seminary, and one of the requirements in seminary was that for four hours a week they go out and witness somewhere. And he said two things were required in our witnessing. One was that you present the gospel, i.e., look, brother, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so therefore, you can have peace with God. That was, you know, however you wanted to do that. And number two, ask them if they'd respond. Ask them if they would follow Christ in order to be at one and have a personal relationship with God. It was that simple. Well, they usually went to the airport because the airport's where people just kind of hang out and wait on planes. And, and uh, so there, see, the, this guy goes up and sits down beside this guy and just starts talking with him, presents the gospel. And as soon as this guy says, or senses where he's going with this. You know, he's getting to the question of, will you follow the Lord? You know, he, kn he knows where that's going. This guy goes, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I really just don't want any part of this conversation. This guy did this. He said, I've never done it since. I never did it before, but there was just something that told me to do this. I said, well, okay. He said, well, okay. I tell you what then, let me lead you in a prayer of rejection. Well, the guy, the guy didn't know what to say. So the Christian just bows his head and said, Lord, you hear John here. He doesn't want any part of you. Just stay away from John. Don't have anything to do with John. Thank you, Lord. Got up and walked away. <laughs> Went to the other end of the airport, was talking to somebody, so on and so forth. Walked back. Here's John still sitting here. He's not going to look at him because he doesn't want to embarrass him. He's walking by. John goes, hey, come here. <laughs> okay, what were you saying again? <laughs> Let him to Christ. Let him to the Lord. You know why? Because John didn't realize that not to make a decision was to make a decision. And that prayer of rejection absolutely crystallized what was plainly going on in his mind. Do you think that even if you're a Christian, that if you know what is the right thing to do and you don't do it, it's any different? You're on any different side? You have any different timeline that you can float? Or that neutrality means any less cowardice and traitorism? It's just the opposite. There are higher standards for us. We know better than that. It is absolutely important to realize. Look, I, I, I heard a a story one time about a guy who was sitting in a restaurant 
And he was, oh, it was, it was in Maine, you know, and they have all those lovely, the fall leaves and the trees and all these lovely country roads. And he was, the restaurant was overlooking this country road that had this covered bridge on it. And they were doing some extensive repairs to the covered bridge because there had been a terrible collision in that, inside that covered bridge. And he looked at the waiter and he said, is that wide enough that two cars can pass each other? And the waiter said, almost, (laughs) almost. See, it looks as if we might be able to get away and go around God. It looks as if we may be able to avoid a collision. There are many right things we can do, but there's only one right path and that's God's way. And if we decide to do anything else, even sit in the middle of the road, we're going to get bumped. We're going to collide with God's will for our lives because he has planned your will, your lives for what? Good, not for evil. And so therefore, it is important to know that if God has laid it on your heart to do something good and you don't do it, You're on the enemy's side. You're not neutral. You're not neutral. You're playing right into his hands. Two simple lessons that you can write down in your sermon's notes notes if you, if you want to. One is that you can be accountable to somebody, but you can't be accountable to everybody. You'll be like the cowboy who got on his horse and rode off in all directions. There's just no way. Two is that you can compromise sometimes toward the best. You don't have to have perfection in a day, in other words. I'm not asking you to go out of here today and do everything you know you ought to be doing before noon. I'm not asking you to do that. But I am saying that you can't compromise the other way. You can't go out of here and say, well, I don't really have to do that because somebody else can do that. I don't really have to say that because that would make us both uncomfortable. I don't really have to to be that because, you know, we're all human. I'm saying this in no uncertain terms to you today. Unless we do what we know we ought to do, we are no further along than Pilate. Except if we have accepted Christ, we're going to heaven in the end. But while you're down here on earth, we are not doing the devil's work any less than if we compromise. Now I want to enter a real serious prayer time this morning. Don't want to go on with any more stories. Just want to get into prayer. I want, first of all, those of you who are already Christians, who have already made a commitment to Jesus Christ in your life, and with that commitment said, Lord, make of my life what you want it to be. I want you to pray right now and ask the Holy Spirit to put something in your mind that he has been telling you to do and you have been resisting. And I want you to tell him to brand it in there. I want you to tell him 
don't let me go on this one. I can't afford to be let go on this one. Something you know you ought to do, you just don't want to do it. And determine today that you're going to go out of here and do it. For those of you who are not yet Christians, you have not made that commitment to Christ. Let me say to you that you can do as much good in this world as you like. And the world will be a better place for it. But we're concerned about you. What happens after this world? What happens? And what about all of the things that God would want to do through you and in you and will never have the chance because you've never let him live in your life? We're concerned about that. So if you're not a believer, would you please come this morning and pray a prayer? Just pray with me. I would love to pray with you and lead you in that prayer of salvation. So that there is never a time in your life when you are uncertain as to whether or not you're saved. You don't need that kind of uncertainty. You do not need that kind of uncertainty. All the rest of you, pray. Maybe he wants you, in order to cement that, to come up here and pray this morning. Maybe he wants you on your knees as a part of what would not be very comfortable for you but as a first step for not compromising anymore. I don't know. That's between you and the Holy Spirit. But let's pray. And then after we get done, Rick will uh, close the service. Okay? Let's take some time.